Welcome to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Sheck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS on the campus of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC on the campus of Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. It's been said and shown that if everyone on Earth consumed as much as the average North American, we would need five planets of resources to keep up with the demand. We consume a lot of stuff. And we don't seem to know what to do about that. There are resources within our religious traditions that can provide wisdom and direction regarding how we might consume in a sustainable and ethical way. My guest is Dr. Laura Hartman, Assistant Professor of Religion at Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. Her new book is The Christian Consumer, Living Faithfully in a Fragile World. She will be speaking in Johnson City, Tennessee at St. John's Episcopal Church Sunday, February 19th from 4 to 6 p.m. to the Green Interfaith Network. She's speaking with me today by phone from Rock Island, Illinois. Welcome, Dr. Hartman. Thank you for having me. Talking about your book, if you read the title, Christian Consumer, and miss the subtitle, you might think your book advocates buying products from Christian merchants. Find the Jesus fish on the company's website and you're good to go. But that isn't what is it about, is it? Uh, not exactly. Uh, it doesn't preclude doing that. Um, but it's more about um, what we consume more broadly, about how our consumption has an ethical impact on the world and on ourselves and on each other. Uh, it's about how to think about and how to weigh those ethical impacts and make good choices as consumers. So how did you come to write this book? You know, I have been uh, obsessed with what I consume for quite a while. Uh, as a youngster, I was raised in a, in a family that practiced what I like to think of as a festive frugality. Um, we lived on one salary and were always uh, penny-pinching and trying to find ways to, um, to be good stewards of the, the money and the um, materials that we had. But at the same time, I think we had a good time with it. I, I recall lots of... Uh, lots of festivity and lots of appreciation and joy. So uh, I think that set me up to start thinking about consumption um, in a certain way. But it wasn't until I got to college uh, and I became very concerned about environmental issues that I started to recognize that consumption has a huge link with our environmental impact. Um, but what's interesting is that the link that it has is an empowering link. I took a class in um, environmental politics and became very disillusioned and very upset about how difficult it is to get, uh, you know, good environmental legislation passed and then, in fact, enforced. Uh, but I came to recognize that maybe it shouldn't be about laws anyway. Maybe it should be um, about our own uh, our own personal habits and spending patterns. Um, that they're putting the emphasis there empowers individuals in a way that politics doesn't. Now, the listeners to this program. Uh, might be Christian, they might be post-Christian, they may practice a different faith or none, uh, but many will be interested in ethical consumption. Will this book be valuable for them? I hope so. I hope so. Uh, I think that the best ethics does situate itself in a tradition or in a school of thought. Um, I think that when we try to be universal, we usually uh, become overgeneralized, and we, we lose a certain amount of power. So I definitely try to root what I'm writing in the Christian tradition, drawing on Christian concepts um, and, uh, uh, you know, certain ideas and practices that, that Christians can embrace. Uh, but that said, 
uh, consumption is an ethical issue for everyone. And uh, I do hope that those with an open mind who are not Christian would be able to pick up this book and learn something from it, um, learn about some of the, the kinds of thoughts and considerations that go into a Christian c- consumption ethic, and then maybe from that they can find their own ways uh, of thinking about similar considerations. And throughout your book, you don't necessarily take passages from the Bible and say, here's what you need to do. You actually go through uh, the Christian tradition and find figures uh, in Christian history who've been examples of different schools of thought. How did you make that choice? You know, um, my tr- it's partly by, by virtue of my training. Uh, my training is not in Bible. My training is in the tradition. Um, but what's interesting to me is that uh, the Bible can be used in so many different ways. Uh, and it seems to me that what faithful people need to do is to look at the folks who, the folks who have gone before us and see how they interpret the Bible. Um, it's definitely Bible-based. Anything that comes out of the Christian tradition is going to be rooted in uh, the witness of Scripture. Um, but what's interesting to see is how those passages get interpreted. Uh, for example, St. Francis of Assisi uh, read the passage where Jesus said, um, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. Now, he took that very uh, literally and personally. He thought that that was Jesus speaking to him. Uh, and so he did, he did precisely that. Francis of Assisi was uh, a rich young man in the town of Assisi. His father was a cloth merchant. Uh, and Francis gave his father back everything that he had given him. And he, Francis took up this very poor lifestyle because he felt that that was proper consumption uh, based on what he saw in the Bible. Um, so that's one example of, of a Christian from the tradition interpreting the Bible in a particular way uh, and making some consumption choices as a result of it. And you look to a wide variety of people within the Christian tradition. You have St. Francis, a medieval uh, monk. Uh, you have uh, John Woolman, uh, a Quaker of the, what is that, was he in the 18th century, is that right? He was and an abolitionist, yeah, in the y- time of slavery. Yeah, and then from to Dorothy Day. So a wide variety from different different uh, situations in the Christian tradition. That's right. Uh, part of the reason I, I do that uh, is because there isn't as much material about consumption as you might hope. Consumption has become a bigger issue now, I think, in our culture today than it has been in the past uh, Christian history. Um, so I am looking to the past for guidance about what we should do today. Uh, but it's somewhat thin on the ground. I felt like I had to use resources from wherever I could find them, which is why I include uh, Seventh-day Adventists, I include Eastern Orthodox thinkers, I include um, prosperity theologians, even though they're sometimes um, discredited in the academic literature. I still think that they have something to teach, uh, to teach mainstream Christian thought. Now, this book is not necessarily a critique of consumerism. It's in there. But you're saying that we can't just not be consumers. It isn't just say no. Uh, consumption is just something we do as human beings, right? And so the idea here is, is how we can consume ethically. That's right. You know, consumerism is a problem. But before we can really articulate how it's a problem and why it's a problem, we have to examine consumption itself. Uh, I define consumption as the throughput of, of physical materials through our lives, all the stuff that we eat, wear, buy, and, and store, all of the plastic packaging, everything that, that comes through our lives. If you think about it, there's a big stream of stuff that flows through our households, that flows through our lives. Uh, and that's what I want to evaluate. We need to look at that carefully and recognize how and why that's an ethical issue before we can start judging the consumerism. To my mind, consumerism, then, 
is uh, using that consumption for, um, for purposes uh, that are not healthy. Um, it's uh, valuing our consumption too much, you know, saying I am what I, what I buy, I live to shop, those kinds of notions where mm-hmm. it seems like we're turning that consumption into an idol. Um, and also s- simply uh, having, um, having a, a throughput that is, that's detrimental to ourselves, to our relationships, uh, to our environment. I think that's where consumerism gets to be a big problem. But again, before we know how to really address that problem, we have to have a good vision of ethical consumption. I think of uh, Thomas Berry, who uh, gave that famous line. I, I've said a number of times, uh, the, the whole uh, project is to take natural resources, process them as quickly as possible through the consumer economy and onto the waste heap, and that's progress. And that, and that would be, of course, a critique of, of consumerism. And, you're, and what you, you also would share, perhaps, that critique, but you're saying, well, let's, here, here's how we can go about it. That's right. And your book, uh, you talk about uh, four primary considerations when making ethical choices about consumption. Um, what, are, what are those? And maybe we can spend some time talking about each one. Uh, my guest is Dr. Laura Hartman. She is the Assistant Professor of Religion at Augustana College. Her area of specialization includes environmental, sexual, social, and medical ethics. And she's the author of The Christian Consumer, Living Faithfully in a Fragile World. And what are those four primary considerations? Yeah, um, so the bulk of what, what I do in this book is, is to offer some guidelines for thinking about consumption. I can't give you a recipe, and I can't give you a list. I can't tell you precisely what you ought to consume. I wish I could. It would be nice if it were that simple, but I don't think it is. What we need is coaching. We need guidance about the things that we ought to think about. Uh, and so this is why I've developed these four considerations. Um, and what they are is four imperatives for, uh, that, that, that I've gleaned from these different voices in the Christian tradition. So the first one is to avoid sin. It seems to me that when we consume, there's much potential for sin. We can be greedy. We can be gluttonous. We can be complicit in harms to others, uh, harms to the environment or harms to the, the folks laboring on the products that we buy. So there's a lot of ways that we can sin in our consumption. That needs to be avoided. And, so, and sin then is defined as um, a personal gluttony as well as um, not regarding the neighbor? That's right. Yeah, it can be personal sin, and it can also be, you know, social and structural sin, sort of complicity in these uh, larger systems that cause harm. That's right. The second one uh, is about um, embracing creation, uh, and it's an important counterbalance to that first one. The first consideration makes it sound like we should just not consume at all. We should be as poor as Francis of Assisi, and perhaps we should, but I think it's worth counterbalancing that with other voices that say that, no, there's, uh, there's value in embracing the gifts that God has given us, um, that when we consume joyfully and gratefully and properly, uh, we, that can be uh, a holy thing. There is such thing as holy consumption uh, if we are consuming the gifts that God has given us. The third consideration is about uh, love of the neighbor. When it comes to Christian ethics, this is one of the biggest, um, one of the biggest uh, considerations of all. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor. Uh, so loving the neighbor through our consumption really needs to be paramount for Christians. Uh, so in that, in that chapter, I try to explore which neighbors we're talking about in, in uh, our consumption um, and how exactly we ought to care for them. It gets pretty complicated, but it's worth examining. And then finally, uh, the fourth imperative is um, to envision the future. This one is about 
is about what God wants for the world. This one is about the life of the world to come. You know, uh, this world is not all there is, and that, and that God does have a future in mind for humanity and for creation. And so the question is, what does that look like, and how can our consumption uh, move us in that direction, offer a foretaste of that world to come? So those four, avoid sin, embrace creation, love neighbor, envision the future. You mentioned um, in your book, Matthew Fox, uh, I, 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 li- I like reading Matthew Fox just to I- explain him a little bit. He's an Episcopal priest. Uh, he was a Roman Catholic priest. Uh, he um, got in trouble with the authorities uh, with his famous book, Original Blessing, talking about Christi- uh, uh, creation spirituality. Um, as opposed to original sin, he wanted to emphasize original blessing. And he came up with four vias or four paths of creation spirituality. And I, I think if your four considerations, in, in, in some sense, uh, an echo, the, uh, the way of awe and wonder, the way of letting go, uh, the way of creativity, the way of uh, transformation. And I, and I was wondering if, um, if there was a, if, if you noticed a parallel in that at all. You know, I have, um, and that's a very perceptive point. I'm glad you noticed that, John. Uh, my, as I was a, a kid growing up, um, my parents read a lot of Matthew Fox uh, and shared that with me. So I think that it was a pretty, um, a pretty formative uh, way of thinking for, for me as, as a youngster. Um, it's actually really hard for me to think of uh, lists of of important considerations that don't come in force, <laughs> and uh-huh. I think that um, I think that that Fox has had a, an impact on my thinking in that way. Um, obviously, these four are not in the same order. Um, you know, uh, paths one and two seem to be kind of reversed um, because Fox's second path is the Via Negativa, and that seems to correspond to my first consideration, which is to avoid sin, uh, um, and the, the and vice versa with the with the first and second. Um, you um, and it seems like actually, if I'm thinking about it, I, I hadn't tried to explicitly correlate these, but I, I think uh, if I were to try to do that, I would say that the third and fourth are also inverted um, because there seems mm-hmm. to be some more creativity with the envisioning the future, which would be the, his third path, the Via Creativa, uh, and more outreach and community orientation with um, loving the neighbor. Uh, which would be his fourth path, the via uh, transformativa. <laughs> right. And in addition, I was thinking not only just correspondence between your four criteria, your four um, primary considerations and his paths, but also the sense in which um, an individual may kind of have a default path, and maybe one where they're naturally drawn. Maybe it's, you know, asceticism, avoiding sin, or maybe it's celebration, or maybe it's the neighbor. But the other, but it isn't restricted to that. You can uh, be there, but also move into these other considerations. Well, that's right. You know, when I first started to write this book, uh, my intention was to communicate to others all of the all of the truths that I already knew about how to consume. And I was very squarely in that first uh, consideration of avoiding sin. And it was only as I started to get into it that I realized there's a lot more to this topic than simply avoiding sin. Um, and, that, and that in some sense that was my first consideration, uh, and that it would be good for me to be stretched into these other directions, that I in fact also needed to think about enjoying creation, about uh, loving the neighbor, and about envisioning the future. Um, so I think you could say something very parallel, you know, for, for those of us who, who tend to think of others, uh, of loving our neighbors when we consume, you know, maybe it's important for us to remember the other three considerations. 
My guest is Dr. Laura Hartman, uh, author of The Christian Consumer, Living Faithfully in a Fragile World, a very important book. This is Religion for Life. And I, I'm thinking of um, what might be an example of how we might make an ethical choice regarding consumption by using these considerations. Uh, in, in your book, you give an example of a choice to meet a friend for lunch, and you need to decide what transportation to take, car or walk or bike or, or the bus in it. And it took three or four pages in your book to make that decision. Now, do you go through that process through each decision, or has ethical consumption become second nature? Well, I think ideally it becomes second nature. Um, as, as I mentioned in the book after that lengthy description, uh, you know, one doesn't have the time to go through all of that for each little choice. Uh, and that, in fact, what we're talking about here is um, sets of considerations. We're talking about dispositions of thought and of feeling. Uh, we're talking about setting ourselves up uh, in order that good consumption becomes more or less second nature. Um, but it requires uh, a fair bit of, of setup. I mean, if on consideration I decide that I ought to take the bus, that means that I need to know the bus schedule, uh, that I need to plan ahead so that I actually am at the bus stop at the right time and I'm not, you know, still searching for my keys or something. Uh, that there's, there's a way in which uh, our lifestyle choices, our larger lifestyle choices, um, can can cut off our options uh, if we haven't really reflected on them properly. Uh, so what I'm encouraging people to do is to read this book as a way of helping them think through uh, some larger-term policies that they have in, in their lives, right? So it's not only I'm at the grocery store, which mustard do I choose? It's also um, do I make a habit of avoiding meat, as I describe in the book? Or do I make a habit of taking the bus? Do I make a habit of uh, cooking my own food or buying prepackaged food? What habits shall we establish for ourselves uh, because they are the most likely to result in, um, in the good ethical choices that we're seeking? And the idea is that it's not always clear-cut, is it? I mean, you can choose um, uh, one over another, but there are, there are a number, there are the, the considerations are complex. They are. I wish it were simple, uh, but I'm sorry to say that it isn't. We live in a very complex world, and, you know, loving the neighbor sounds extremely simple, but once you start thinking about it, it's hard to recognize, you know, who, who counts as neighbors here? You know, does the woman who sold me my coffee count as a neighbor? Probably. Uh, do the people working in the back room uh, also count as neighbors? I don't see them, but they still work at the coffee shop, I suppose. Should I consider them when I choose what kind of coffee to get? How does that Im impact it? And then what about the people I will never meet who are related to this coffee purchase, the people who grew it, who picked it, who processed it, who shipped it, who packaged it? I'm not going to see any of those people. And yet, and yet for Christians, there is an expansive sense of the neighbor. It seems as if we are called to love even neighbors who we wouldn't normally consider. So... Uh, it becomes ex extremely complex and can be overwhelming, which is why I'm trying in this book to offer a balanced look at these uh, complicated considerations. I don't want people to get overwhelmed, and I don't want us to end up simply feeling guilty. The point That is not the point. The point is that we need some tools uh, to help us reflect. Um, and so I hope that in this book I can offer some perspectives and some ways of thinking that readers can latch onto to help them uh, feel that that their choices matter, but that they're not alone in making them. 
My guest is Dr. Laura Hartman, author of the book, The Christian Consumer, Living Faithfully in a Fragile World, and actually anticipated one of my questions. I, uh, when I think about ethical consumption, I, I often feel a number of things, uh, and I'm not very consistent. My feelings bounce all over. One is overwhelming guilt uh, for using far more than my share than the rest of the world. Um, the other is, uh, on the other hand, I might feel self-righteous. Well, I am greener than thou. And then there's the fatalistic approach where I say, uh, well, there's not much I can do anyway. We're headed for a collapse, so let's just party on until the lights go out. And so, but what I read in your book is really a hopeful, no, wait a second, there are, there are things that we can do, and um, it's about being intentional uh, about life and about what we consume rather than just kind of being bounced about. That's right. Uh, and, you know, honestly, this is why I find the Christian approach so helpful. Um, you know, when, when you think about guilt and, and feeling responsible uh, and, and, um, and feeling sinful, how do you handle that? Well, mm -hmm. Christianity has resources. Christianity can help you. Of course you're guilty. Yes, me too. <laughs> right? Uh, let's talk about how, how we can work through that, what it looks like to confess, what it looks like to repent, uh, how we can get help from God to redirect our lives, um, and when we stumble, to redirect them again, right? I mean, we have resources for that. Uh, when, it comes to, um, when it comes to saying, oh, well, you know, we're headed for a collapse anyway, there's no way we can get through this, of course. I mean, yes, I can see that. Uh, you know, we're in a big mess, and if it's only up to us to solve it, you could be right, we might not be able to solve it. Uh, but thankfully, it's not only up to us, right? We're not doing this alone. You know, as Christians, we firmly believe that God, that God cares for God's creation and wants it to flourish, um, and that when we work on behalf of the creation and on behalf of people uh, who God loves, that God will help us, uh, and that it's not only up to us, but that together, uh, when we can work with, uh, with the vision that God has for a better world, uh, then we get, uh, we get help that is beyond ourselves. My guest is Dr. Laura Hartman, author of The Christian Consumer, uh, Living Faithfully in a Fragile World. This is Religion for Life. Envisioning the Future is the uh, fourth of your uh, primary considerations for making ethical choices regarding consumption. Uh, what, can you tell us more about what that future looks like? Um, I wish I could. <laughs> None of us knows for sure. Uh, and, you know, in some ways this was the hardest chapter to write because I know there are so, there's so much diversity of, um, of understanding within Christianity about what this future is um, and, you know, what is to come. Is it going to be a, a rupture in which Jesus, you know, comes from on high and, you know, raptures out all the faithful? Uh, is it rather um, a gradual transformation that happens, you know, perhaps the kingdom of God is already among us and we need to sort of work together to bring it about, uh, and many things in between, right? I mean, there's a huge spectrum of, of views about what it is that we're, what we're yearning for, what it is that, we're, that God is calling us toward. Um, so in the chapter, I try to remain mostly agnostic about the details of that, uh, because in some ways that doesn't matter. What matters is how the vision affects what we do now. Um, and so what I've done in, in this section is that I'm trying to look actually at two Christian practices that anticipate that future. So one of them is uh, the practice of Sabbath-keeping, mm -hmm. that is taking a day of rest. Um, m many people who do practice Sabbath-keeping say that it is a foretaste of the world to come, uh, that it is a little slice of the way God wants everything to be. Uh, so 
that's one practice that I examine. And then the other practice that I examine is uh, the Eucharist or communion, the Lord's Supper, uh, where Christians share the bread and the wine or the grape juice um, and see that also as a foretaste of the world to come. Uh, this is consumption in the worship service. So, I mean, it is quintessential when you talk about uh, ethical Christian consumption. I think that the Eucharist is extremely important for, for Christians in terms of a training ground for proper consumption. I mean, look at how we consume there. We are joyful and we are celebratory, so it's like a feast. And yet, how much do you eat? Not very much, right? It's, it's, it's not a full meal by any stretch of the imagination, so it's also like a fast. It's a feast and a fast at the same time. It's one that's shared with other people, but it's also very personal and inner, uh, inner-oriented. Um, it's, uh, it, what it does is it strengthens, it strengthens the, the Church into a body of Christ, um, which is, uh, which is a, a really powerful metaphor for the ways that, the ways that Christians can act in the world with, um, with some of this power that, that extends beyond themselves, that it's not only us, up to us because we know that as we act in the world, we are Christ as well. So there's a lot of depth to this practice um, that I think has insights for consumption. My guest, Dr. Laura Hartman, author of The Christian Consumer, Living Faithfully in a Fragile World. We just are about out of time. Is there anything uh, in particular that you, after folks read, that you hope people will get from reading this book? You know, the bottom line for me is simply that our consumption is an ethical issue, that it can be overwhelming, but that there is help from the Christian tradition, that we might be tempted to... Um, to want to avoid thinking about it. I think many of us recognize that our consumption uh, has a dark side <laughs> to it, but we're not ready to face it. Uh, so I, I am trying to encourage my readers to face it, uh, knowing that they're not alone, uh, knowing that there will be guidance and help. I think it's a very, it was a very good book and a very important book and a very hopeful book about, about taking seriously uh, life around us. Uh, not, when I say seriously, it doesn't mean dourly, but taking it intentionally. And, uh, and proactively, and, and living a life that matters. Thank you. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Hartman, I'm, and uh, I look forward to uh, hoping your book sells big. <laughs> well, you know, I, I want to encourage people to get your library to order it. You don't have to buy it for yourself, but you can get your library to order a copy, and that way you can share. Very good. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dr. Laura Hartman is going to be in Johnson City Sunday, February 19th from 4 to 6 p.m. at St. John's Episcopal Church. She will be addressing the Green Interfaith Network about her book, The Christian Consumer. The public is invited. For more information, go to Green Interfaith Network's website, greeninterfaith.org, greeninterfaith.org. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. I'm John Shuck, the minister of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. More information about my congregation can be found at fpcelizabethton.org. Information about Religion for Life, including upcoming shows and podcasts, are available at religionforlife.me. Follow Religion for Life on Facebook and Twitter. Religion for Life is a co-production of WETS-FM and WETS-HD1, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHC-FM, Emory, Virginia. Be well.